Welcome back. I'm Ashley, your hostess for The Sharp End. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Designed and developed in the Swiss Alps, Mammut has been making the finest alpine equipment since 1862, with a full range of technical freeride clothing and safety equipment. Avalanche beacons, avalanche airbag systems, freeride packs, shovels, probes, ropes, harnesses, and even climbing hardware. Mammut outfits the freerider and mountaineer to pursue their downhill and uphill passions with style and safety. Mammut, absolute alpine. Also, thanks to Vertical Medicine Resources and the Colorado Hour Bound School for being contributing sponsors of The Sharp End. So for this month's guest, I chat with two folks who had quite the experience in Southern Colorado in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Adam Benami. I live in Superior, Colorado. Um, I'm married and have two kids. And I've been climbing uh, in the Colorado mountains since 2010. Nice. Well, that's it's good to meet you and it's good to have you on the show. And go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, Jennifer Stoffer. I also live in Superior, Colorado. I'm married, have one child. Started climbing 14ers oh. in 2008 as a way to... Uh, exercised my black lab and fell in love with it and have uh, about 42 under my belt now. 42 14ers, wow. Yeah, and I have, I think, 36 under my belt now. And how do you two know each other? Well, uh, Jen moved in across the street uh, from us in 2013, was it? Mm-hmm. And then yep. we, we both figured out that, uh, that we liked hiking, so uh, we, we started hiking in 2014 together. Yeah, it's pretty rare that you find someone who, who uh, you know, has the same idea of fun being getting in a car at one o'clock in the morning, drive four hours across the <laughs> state, climb, climb a peak, and then come home the same day. So it's kind of a gem. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's always good to have good partners. Um, okay, so go ahead and launch right into the story there. Well, I guess I'll, I'll start. So in July of uh, 2015, it was... There had been a lot of snow that year, um, so it was really our first big outing. You know, typically for those you know listeners who don't know what the 14er season looks like, it, the the snow really holds um, you know uh, high on the peaks. You know, a lot a lot of times in an average year late into July. So we kind of had our first. We were planning our first um, our first expedition, and we were looking at a bunch of different peaks. You know, one of which was Snowmass, and that was kind of what our plan was. Another, I think we we're looking at Capital too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, for for bunches of different reasons, the the snow was just really holding on Snowmass and Capital, which is a very technical peak. So we decided, uh, you know, last minute uh, that we were going to go at, down to to Crestone Peak. Uh, the route we were going to be looking at was a south facing route, which typically lends itself to more melting, and we hadn't seen any any alarming, uh, you know, conditions reports that would, that would really lead us to believe that we wouldn't be able to summit. So, uh, the night before we left, we decided to change our, our, uh, our plan and head down to Crestone Peak. Uh, so we we're going to do it in two days, head down on a Friday. So we left on Friday morning and, um, Jen got in the car and dropped a whopper on me on the way down. Yeah. So, um, at the time I was, 10 weeks pregnant. Um, I had, I'm a very active person, I'm a type of person that needs a lot of exercise and stuff and had had some back and forth with my husband about what activities I needed to cancel. And so I had actually 
previously the week before played in my last ice hockey tournament um, that I was going to play in until I had my baby. And so hiking was kind of the thing that I had on my radar uh, for the for the summer. And we had done some back and forth, my husband and I, as to whether or not we were going to tell Adam that I was 10 weeks pregnant. And so we decided that just for safety's sake, I should let him know because um, I was facing some morning sickness. So I was 10 weeks pregnant at the time. We headed down for this two-day trip and we um, parked our, our vehicle at the South Colony Trailhead and then hiked hiked in on a really nice day, a nice afternoon, hiked in, set up camp, um, got, got going. We actually went up to the lake, kind of explored under Humboldt before going to sleep and then got up early the next morning and started started up Crestone Peak. We had actually encountered several folks on the hike in that kind of had warned us about some of the conditions, but none of those people that we had gotten warnings from had had um, ice axes or microspikes in their bag. And so we decided to go ahead and give it a shot anyway, feeling that we had those those tools, you know, in our pack that we, we'd go and if we give it a shot. And if conditions didn't look good, we could always turn around and maybe um, call out and do Humboldt, which came off the same trailhead. Okay. And what were people reporting on the conditions? I, I think they said that they encountered snow and, mm-hmm. then, and it kind of freaked them out. Oh. Uh, but again, but you, you know, when you, when you do enough of these trips, you kind of develop a profile of you think of someone who you think is prepared and you have to kind of gauge their advice. And we kind of had rightly or wrongly kind of assumed that we were a little bit more prepared than they were based on the gear that they had and, and you know, what they had told us experience wise. So, you know, we, we've been turned around on a couple peaks before. So, you know, we kind of have the same mindset of, you know, what we can handle, what we can't. So, you know, worst case scenario, we just go up and we get a nice hike out of it and, and turn around if it's looking nasty. Um, but I guess a little background on Crestone is, you know, for the all of the standard routes on Colorado 14ers, you know, there's class one, which is just a nice stroll all the way up to class four which is scrambling and it's, you know, one step below, you know, what most people think of as traditional rock climbing. And the, the route we are going to be doing on a dry day is a class three route, which is, you know, not hairy. I mean, there, there's, you don't want to fall, but it, it's typically not something that is really that technical and we weren't that worried about. And snow tends to be one of those things that, that adds complexity and danger to any route. And that's where, you take what's called a, you know, an ice axe or, a, or kind of a summer axe, which kind of helps you secure yourself in snowy conditions. Mm-hmm. And you both had ice axes? Yeah, and, and micro spikes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great. Okay, so you decide, well, let's try it. Let's go up and see what happens. We feel prepared. And then what time did you guys start um, start hiking up? I think we started around 6.30 or 7 yeah. is what time we started that's a, that's a good time to start that route, I feel like, from from where you were camping. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, we were already pretty far in, and we, so we started up um, Broken Hand Pass and actually encountered quite a bit of snow on um, on Broken Hand Pass. Getting up to the, to the pass was a little bit of a challenge. Not too bad, kind of fun, actually, for the type of stuff I enjoy doing. When we got up to the top there, the pass went looking down over – into the cottonwood drainage there, everything was dry, you know, on that side of the trail. So we went ahead and did the, I think it's about a 500 foot descent you have to do to then start again, did the descent, came into the valley, was really nice around the lake. Everything was looking pretty good. Uh, But when we got over to 
the actual standard route up the Red Gully on Crestone, we saw that there was quite a bit, it was holding quite a bit of snow um, up at the top still. Um, but there was a drier kind of rock cropping to the left that we saw some people coming down, folks that had done uh, Crestone Needle earlier that morning. And so we decided to go ahead and give it a shot. Jen's a lot more more of a, a an avid snow person than I am. So the the, the Kuar, um it was it was a nice um, you know it was a nice uh, graded Kuar, and she was really looking forward to the opportunity to to go up the snow. And I wanted to avoid that like the, the plague. So she so we split up. We were still you know we could keep an eye on each other, but she decided to go. Um, go up the snow to, to, to get up to the top and it, it kind of fell apart that the snow got really nasty. So she joined me on the, on the rock. So I, I, I went up a kind of a improvised class four route, um, up the rock, um, to the top and kind of waited for her to get to me. And then I think we got, you decided to, you, you got up on the rock as well, if I remember correctly. And then right when you hit the ridge line, yeah, we got to the rock just shy of the summit. And then um, it, it, I guess the, the thing that was kind of really becoming apparent to me is, you know, we've hiked a lot of peace together and I just noticed she was really, you know, kind of struggling and, and, you know, really fighting it because of the morning sickness. But it was really an admirable effort with the amount of, uh, you know, it really kind of shows the, the fortitude and stubbornness that she has that she was able to, to really power through it. And uh, we ended up getting up to the summit at, at noon. It was, it's probably one of the prettiest summits I've ever been on. Yep, it's absolutely yeah. gorgeous day, gorgeous summit. Yeah, and then I just remember Jen saying, "Man, we're going to be home late," and uh, so we we started heading down. And uh, and Jen's a lot more of a comfortable rock climber than I am, so I was kind of letting her root find on the way down um, on the dry rock. She was actually in the best. You were probably in the best shape you were that day, uh, the whole day, right? At that point. Yeah, I was feeling a lot better. My morning sickness had passed, and we were on the descent. We were, we were coming down. I was in lead coming down the rock climb. It was actually pretty comfortable and pretty fun, like class four down climb for me um, off the standard route because obviously the standard route was under snow. And we got to a point where we were trying to avoid the snow because the snow was getting really soft and squishy with the sun that was hitting that afternoon. We were trying to avoid the snow and we had kind of skirted the rock for a while and we got to one place where we absolutely had no choice but to make a crossing um, of the tip of this snowfield, and the snowfield that was there was just a little crossing for us to get back onto dry rock. But the snowfield that we had to cross was rather large and ran kind of um, down into the gully, and then from there the snowfield actually dropped into the traditional red gully water. Um, I think a lot of people call it like wet bacon alley, where the water kind of runs down um, Crestone. And so the water was running pretty good with the way the snow was melting that afternoon. So I started um, in lead and started across the snow. And when I initially started stepping into it, and it's probably the distance we had to cross was probably about the length of, you know, maybe a living room or something, not very far, maybe 25, 30 feet, if that, if, yeah. you know, in crossing. So it wasn't very far. So we started into it. And when I first stepped into it, it was pretty squishy, good snow that you kind of like to cross. And so... I didn't really even feel the need to pull out my ice axe or my spikes as I stepped into it. When we got about halfway across, it was getting worse. And so at that point, I pulled out my my axe um, and started trying to kind of kick steps for us, following somebody's old footsteps that were kind of had been windblown 
um, in there. And so I was kicking steps for us um, and was making my way across. It was about three footsteps from being back on solid rock when I slipped and fell. No, three footsteps. Pretty close. You know, and it was just such a comically short patch of snow. So I think Jen just decided to power through it because she's, you know, got more experience. But I'm at that time, I was a bit more of a novice than than she was. So I put my spikes on and it was being overly careful. And then, um, you know, she made some sort of comment like, wow, this snow's a lot crappier than I remember. And I think you encountered what was probably a, a, a drain off that was hidden underneath the snow that turned into ice. And then I just looked up and saw her shoot down um, and try to self-arrest, you know, and go over the waterfall um, down presumably what I thought was a thousand foot drop um, down the red gully. It it happened so fast. And the the thing that was so freaky was her self-arrest technique was perfect. It was like watching an instructional video flipped over perfectly. Uh, got leveraged her body into the axe and it was just the snow was so icy she just couldn't stop um it was just so freaky to see the pick just wasn't getting enough purchase in the snowpack nope nope now one of the things that's ingrained to my mind as i was falling and and i still can look back and see in my head is just that you know you practice it and you practice it but that Actually, now your your life depends on it. And as I'm rolling and trying to flip the pick into the ice, it's going nowhere, and it's just dragging along the ice at a super high speed, you know. And I still have regular conversations with my ice axe in the garage about, hey, you failed me. Yeah. How far did you end up sliding down the gully? So, so I, when I initially fell, I fell and I tried three times to self arrest in the snowfield, and then I ended up going headfirst into the the waterfall that runs the Crestone, you know, the, the Crestone Peak uh, gully there. And I fell quite a ways. I mean, I, honestly, I didn't really know how far I fell. I, I was just being tossed and turned and thrown all over the place. Um, estimates are between 250 to 317 feet, depending on, you know, what you look at. And we'll, we'll send you a picture of the route, but it, it, it's also important to note where we were on, on the descent. So, you know, Crestone Peak is obviously 14 or so. We were, we, we started our descent above 14,000 feet, with, but Jen fell probably around 13,000 feet. But where, where she fell is probably one of the most inconvenient places to, to fall. Um, so, you know, from my perspective, when I saw her fall, I, I, I thought there's no way she's going to... I mean, I, I presumably, I thought she was dead. Um, yeah, there was quite a bit of, you know, snow runoff in in the Red Gully. And so it was, I ended up in the waterfall there that runs alongside it. Well, the only reason you stopped is because your leg got caught between two rocks. Yeah, so I was, I was falling. I was, you know, you're when you're falling like that, you do the, the thing that goes through your head is that, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is over. Like, you're just kind of waiting for that final moment of when you take the last worst hit, you know, um, and I was falling, I was falling, but the one thing that kind of came into my mind and for, I don't know what, for what reason or whatever, but done some whitewater rafting and the, the thought of get your feet downhill, get your feet downhill. And so I was trying to get my body turned around and my feet pointed downhill. And I did end up managing to get my, myself turned around where I was able to kind of see what was coming. 
and my foot somehow miraculously got jammed in between a couple of rocks, um, which ultimately stopped my fall. And so I came to a stop sitting in, in the in the water melt and the runoff in inside the red goalie there. It happens so fast and it, it goes so fast that you don't really have control of, of much. I had my, you know, we had our helmets on and um, right after, the, actually the force of me coming to a stop inside of the goalie when I, when I hit my foot through my helmet. And so there was probably a good, like 15, another 15 foot drop off right underneath where I came to a stop. And I, I think, um, you know, I'm not sure, you know, there is a lot of what ifs, what, what if I had gone over that next part without my helmet on or, or whatever, but I was lucky to have kept my helmet on up until the point pretty much where I came to a stop. And so Adam, you're at the top still. And um, what are you, what are you thinking? I thought I saw, I thought I saw her die. And I, and honestly, I just kind of froze. Um, it, you know, you get to the point where you don't, it, I mean, it, you, you think you're going to know how you're going to act in that kind of scenario, but it was, I, I was just really, really in shock. And so I, uh, I, I kind of collected myself for, you know, for a couple minutes and then I kind of started getting pissed at myself because I realized that if she was okay, I wasn't really doing anything to help her. Um, you know, so you, you kind of, so I just kind of collected myself, moved down through, uh, through the rocks and there was kind of a, a, a bend what that kind of, uh, you know, I, I guess hid where the, the red goalie was. And then I, I rounded that bend and I saw her sitting up in, in the meltwater, which was like the greatest feeling ever. But then I realized how bad it must be because that, that meltwater is really, really cold. And obviously she couldn't get herself out. So I knew she was, you know, really, really hurt. So we were able to pull her out of the meltwater and, and onto dry rock. And um, I guess, you know, kind of, uh, I, I hike with a uh, spot device. The button you never think you're going to hit is the SOS button. Um, so I hit that button and I was able to get limited cell service and, you know, called 911. And for some reason, um, my battery pack that I normally, that, that I hike with malfunction that day. And what that does is, you know, it's just an extra, you know, charge that you can use to, to keep your cell phone going. So um, I was running out of juice. Um, so once I was able to relay my coordinates to, to the sheriff, search and rescue started uh, texting me. So, you know, all they know, um, you know, when, when you hit the spot button is that you've had an accident. They don't know what, what the conditions are and anything of that nature. So uh, I was able to communicate with them about, you know, what the situation was and, and uh, you know where we were on the on the route, and, and you know I basically said I know everyone asks for this, but we really could use a helicopter to get out. This was about two o'clock when my when my phone died. The accident happened at one. Yep, absolutely. Accident and, happened at one fifteen. Yeah. When I stopped falling and it came to a, when I came to a stop, you know, my head was spinning like crazy. Like I couldn't decide if what was happening was real or if it was like where I was at for a minute. And when I finally kind of got my wits about me, I started touching my face and realized I was bleeding. I thought maybe from my mouth, but I couldn't really tell. You know, I was bleeding from my face. I'd hit my face kind of hard. And so once I kind of stopped, I realized it wasn't going to go anywhere if I tried to stand up when I was as dizzy as I was. So I, 
I sort of moved myself so I was getting hit by as little water as possible because, like Adam said, the water was very cold. And uh, just kind of assessed my situation for a minute. And then once I kind of had my wits about me, I tried to stand up. And that's when all the excruciating pain kind of hit. I realized I, I couldn't stand up and that and I actually my foot slipped a little further and I realized that trying to stand up more was going to actually get me in further trouble um, and, and, and possibly into a second fall. And so I waited a few minutes and then I tried to pull myself out using my arms, you know, and my butt like the crab crawl butt scooch technique. And I and I had in, in this meantime, I had actually pulled up my pant leg and discovered that it kind of looked like my bone was coming up under my skin on my leg on my on my uh, left leg, so I knew that something was was I thought at the time something was wrong with my femur. So then I, I tried to scooch myself out and ended up in just excruciating pain, and it was actually my uh, ribs were broken in in the backside, and so I I ended up just waiting for Adam to come get me, and so he came down. He was able to um, pull me out. Uh, using kind of under under the arm technique, just pull me out and get me onto some some rock. And the rock that I was pulled out onto was not ideal situation at all for a place to sit or place to be for a long period of time. But it was at least out of the water. And so, um, you know, during this whole time, the kind of the things that are going through your head are, you know, you know that you're putting other people's lives at risk to come get you, and you feel incredibly guilty about that. But you also feel incredibly guilty about, you know, not coming home and, you know, knowing that I'm 10 weeks pregnant with my first child and my, you know, not getting back to my husband is a terrible thing. And you think about all your friends and family members that are there, you know, um, waiting and expecting you to come home. And so there's a lot of guilt that you feel with the emotion of putting others through all of this and, and just knowing that there's all these people on their way and a lot of, a lot of uh, effort and time coming into helping you out because you made this simple mistake of not throwing your micro spikes on for a short field crossing. And it's, you know, it's a long time to wait. And I think I fell at about 1.15 and we had a really quick response. They came in, I think, somewhere between 6.37 yeah. at night with the first set of two helicopters came in together, one from the National Guard, one was a medical helicopter. And uh, they that first helicopter dropped off, I think, about six search and rescue members from Custer County Search and Rescue. And the medical helicopter was there. And then the Blackhawk left and did another run to go pick up uh, members from the Western Mountain Rescue Team in Gunnison. And so then they came back with those guys and those guys are trained for a hoist operation. So they were kind of waiting for them to see whether or not they could get a, a hoist off before dark and get me to the medical helicopter in the valley. Um, and just with the wind and the conditions that ensued, that just wasn't an option. So they ended up putting me in a litter and doing a uh, 1500 foot lower in some really extreme conditions and terrain. Down yeah, the Red it, Gully? Yep. Oh, my gosh. That is impressive. Very impressive. You know, you, you, there's many people rotating on and off the litter, doing shifts, just trying to get you down to somewhere safety where they can bring in a, a helicopter. 
and and they got you down in, in fairly good time. They did. They got me down in. Um, I think they started lower around 8 p.m. and they got me down there. The um, Colorado National Guard was communicating kind of a final one o'clock, one a.m. attempt to come pick me back up again, and so I think they got me down about 12:45. Just in the nick of time. Yeah, I mean, I feel incredibly blessed that they made that call to come back at 1 a.m. in the dark and land, you know, in that terrain and bring me out and transfer me to, you know, a medical helicopter. It was pretty impressive, and I'm very grateful. And so then you, you went to the hospital, and what were your, what were um, all your symptoms once you got there? Yeah, so they, they transferred me to a medical helicopter, which then transferred me to the hospital in Colorado Springs. Um, I was taken into the trauma center uh, where the, the first thing they worked on was insertion of a chest tube to repair my collapsed lung. Um, I had a collapsed lung, three broken ribs in my back. I had my, what I thought was my broken femur was actually a shattered patella, so my kneecap had shattered basically into a lot of pieces um and then i had broken my right foot in several places as a result of that stop from the fall i also had several pelvic fractures and as you can imagine i had pretty severe bruising um that covered most of my uh, back and lower legs but all things considered uh, you know I, i got off pretty easy I didn't have any head trauma and no internal bleeding, you know, no spine injury. And most importantly. And most importantly, I was still pregnant with a healthy baby. My big takeaway here is one little fall could just turn anything, any normal day out into what this became. And uh, it just affects not only your immediate family, but I mean, there was how many total rescuers? 14. Like 14 total rescuers that, you know, were, they all got down fine, but, you know, we, we kind of put them at risk too. And, uh, not to mention the guys in the copter. Yeah. The, yeah, the guy in the helicopter who probably bent the rules as far as how much airtime he was allowed to have, um, to come get us. I mean, again, these people don't have to do this. They, they, no one had to be there, but everyone just dropped everything to go save people that they'd never met before. And, um, you know, we've stayed in touch with the, the rescuers after, and they're, they're really, really wonderful people. And uh, we're just going to do a shameless plug here that if you want to make a donation to Custer County Search and Rescue, uh, we'd be forever grateful. Yeah, I mean, it's very humbling, like, to know that, you know, it, people have their families, they have other things going on in their life, and that they're willing to make those sacrifices to make sure that you get home to yours. Um, and yeah, not just Custer County, but Sagwatch and Western Mountain Rescue Team, you know, and Colorado National Guard. It's, you know, because of all four of those, you know, agencies that I'm here and I have a son who turns one, you know, next week. That is an incredible story. Um, okay. So what are the takeaways here? I think on my end, you know, if you're second guessing whether or not you need a piece of gear and you're in a hurry time-wise just take the second to take it out and use it there's a you know reason you put it in your bag and there's a reason you carry it and you know who cares if you get home 
10 minutes later than he would have had he not, you know, put those on, you know? Yeah, I would, uh, I, I would probably just say besides that, be prepared. I mean, we, we thought we were pretty well prepared and I guess we weren't as badly prepared as we could have been, but what, what we carry now after, after this experience is a lot different than what we were before. Um, you know, I, we'll have redundant spot devices or delorms or whatever. And, and, um, you know, I would have killed for a bivy bag that day. I mean, it was so cold. Um, you know, just being able to put uh, Jen in a bivy bag would have been really good. Um, making sure you think of worst case scenarios about every route that you go on and, and are prepared to wait out the night because that, that's what really, we were really lucky. We did not have to sit on that crappy piece of rock. It, all night. Um, and that's what you have to be prepared for. That's something I think people really need to have drilled into their conscious when they go out in the, in the mountains. Good point. Um, yeah, being prepared for an overnight, um, carrying a spot device, uh, using the gear that you bring, even, even though it's maybe just for short periods of time. Well, thanks so much for uh, being on the show, you two. I really appreciate it. Again, thanks to all you listeners. And if you have a story that you want to share on the sharp end, please send me an email at accidents at americanalpineclub.org. This episode is sponsored by Mammut, Vertical Medicine Resources, and the Colorado Outward Bound School. Vertical Medicine Resources is an innovative climbing medicine company. Check out their new book, Vertical Aid, Essential Wilderness Medicine for Climbers, Trekkers, and Mountaineers. The Colorado Hour Bound School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 50 years. They offer wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. Visit cobs.org to plan your next adventure. Until next time, play hard and be smart.